glory of God. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the great I Am. What in the world does that mean? We sing that a lot, you know? We pray that a lot. We talk about that a lot in church. We sing about glorifying the name of God. As I was studying this this week, I started thinking about, you know, I, 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 I say that in a lot of my prayers. Let my life be lived to your glory, but I don't know if you really <coughs> thought about what that means. The glory of God. I think you might be surprised at how big of a theme this is in the Bible. We're going to go through some of that. Deviating a little bit from my, from my normal way of preaching in that we're not choosing a specific text of a few verses and, and, and spending most of the time with it. But rather we're choosing a theme that, that goes throughout the Bible and using a, a lot of different verses. So we're going to do that again today. Talking about the glory of God after we spent some time last week with the holiness of God. We'll do it today with this theme. And in hopes that you and I will come to know our place in the story of God. That's, the, that's our goal is to, to think about our lives, to, to frame our lives in the context of God's story. To, to situate our little stories in God's big story. And in order to do that, we've got to have a pretty good understanding of what God's story is all about. And so we're using some different things. The holiness of God today, the glory of God. So let's wrestle with it for a little bit. We're going to do a word study here. And so the, the purpose of this is so that you may see how the, the varied ways that this word is used. Glory. How do you use the word glory? Sometimes we use it as an exclamation. Oh, glory. You ever say that? <clears throat> some of you, maybe. Oh, glory. Uh, I don't know exactly what that means. But we use it like that sometimes, perhaps. It's used a lot of different ways in the Bible. Here's just a, a handful of those. This is Luke's version of the birth narrative. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. What do you see when you hear that story? You read those words. The glory of the Lord shone around these shepherds. What do you see in your mind? You see light? You, you see light, don't you? That seems to be kind of implied by the word shown there. See light, something pretty impressive. That is the glory of the Lord. So, so if you see the glory of God, I mean, I, think, I usually think of the glory of the Lord being something maybe invisible. It's, it's not like something tangible that you can put your hand on, hands on and you kind of get the glory of God in your hands and hold it and look at it. It's not that sort of thing. But can you see it? It's the glory of the Lord there in the birth narrative of Jesus in Luke's gospel account. Then you've got this expression in Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. What does that mean? The sky above proclaims His handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. I guess if I were reading that, my, my first instinct would be to say if I'm looking, as Mark was talking about, if I'm looking at the sky with a telescope, that I am seeing something of what? The power, the majesty, the greatness of God? Don't you think? That's my first instinct at least. So in the first one, I'm thinking about the glory of God in that I'm seeing bright lights. I'm seeing something pretty impressive. Something big's about to happen. That sort of thing. And then here, the heavens declare the glory of God. Doesn't mean there's, there are lights there necessarily. There are, that that's the most obvious thing. You go into the... Your yard, and you look at the night sky, and you're impressed with the glory of God, the majesty, the importance, the awesomeness of God. Then you got this one in 1 Corinthians 10:31. These last two, read by Daniel earlier, 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What does that mean? Do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Nothing about bright shining lights there. You don't shine a light on what you're doing. It's not lights there, but something about the glory of God. Then you got this one, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Statement about humanity here. So we've all sinned and that in some way affects our relationship to the glory of God. So there's this glory of God, this standard, something out here, something nebulous, something intangible, some, I don't know, something out there. And, and because you and I have sinned, we fall short of that standard. So you see, this glory of God idea is used in a lot of different ways, you know. But I want us to do this for the next few minutes. See that word there? That's a Hebrew word. That's the transliteration of a Hebrew word. Very important word in the Old Testament. Usually translated, most often translated, glory. Here's the way it's pronounced. We're going to talk about kavod a lot. This is kavod, the kavod of God. And we do this because I wish that some of these texts, and I'm actually going to read them to you with that word, because I don't want you automatically to think glory when you hear this word, because I want you to see the way it's used in the Bible. And it's a pretty neat word, the kavod of God. Okay, so the first way, and this, this death, these three, I'm going to give you three things. These come from Tim Mackey, okay? So I got these definitions, but this is well substantiated in the uh, scholarly literature in reference to kavod. All right, this is what kavod is. So literally, this is interesting, all right? You like word studies? Not so much? Okay. Kavod. First, first way this word is used is it's, it's, it literally means heavy. Or, or wait, let me give you a couple of examples of this. And I just substituted the word kavod here. So this is talking about Eli. Remember the story of Eli? Eli fell off his chair and died. That's kind of a weird way to go. I mean, really. You don't, you fall off your chair. You, I've fallen off a chair in our house a couple of times. I broke the chair, but I didn't die. All right? Uh, you, you normally don't die when you fall off the chair. You just you, you get hurt. But, but Eli did. And something about Eli that, that made this a more of a disaster for him. So, found, finds out that the ark of God has been taken. He fell over backward from his seat by his side of the gate. His neck was broken. Wow. It's terrible. Fell off his chair and broke his neck. And he died. For the man was old and kavod. What in the world? He was old and kavod. He had judged Israel 40 years for Samuel 4, 18. So he was old. Well, that may have had a factor. I mean, you, you, you get older and your, your bones become, you know, a little more frail. So falling off the chair can be a bigger deal. Especially if you're kavod. <laughs> now, now kavod doesn't mean glory here. That's the way it's normally translated. But it means he was, was fat. He had a lot of weight. He, was, he had a lot of kavod. That's, that's the way this word is used. So it's pretty interesting, isn't it? You know, Eli was kavod. He was, he was big. He was a big guy. So he died. Then you got this one. You got this one over in 2 Samuel. This is about Absalom. Remember Absalom, David's son? He had this, this big head of hair. He was, a, he was proud of it. He cut the hair of his head for at the end of every year. He used to cut it. When it was kavod on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head, 200 shekels by the king's weight. So when his hair got what? When he got too much hair, he got really heavy, he would cut it. So that's the way this word is used. It's a literal meaning. This is the way a lot of words are. And if you think about it, we've got words like this in English. They have a literal meaning. But a lot of times when we use the word, we're not talking about a literal meaning. This is kavod. All right? Sometimes this is all, in fact, this, I think this is only two times in the entire Bible where it's used in a literal sense. But I just wanted you to see it. So it's kavod. It means heavy. All right? A lot of weight. 
Okay, here's the second meaning. This is a metaphorical meaning, and so we're getting closer to the way, to the way we often would use this word. Metaphorical means importance or reputation or honor. So here's one. This is in the book of Psalms. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my kavod in the dust. Lay my weight in the dust? David talking about being fat? That's not it. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground. I mean, this is, this is bad. He's, he's being chased by his enemies. You remember, if you've been in the Wednesday night class for a while, we studied this for a while. You know, this story about David running and he's got enemies chasing him. Spent a lot of his life on the run. So in one of those moments, he says, my enemies are pursuing me. And um, they're trampling my life to the ground and laying my kavod in the dust. My, my, who I am, my reputation, my honor, my importance, everything that I am, it's being left in the dust, you know? That's the way it's often used. Here's a third way of looking at it, though. This is, kavod is often used to refer to the physical manifestation of somebody's importance. So an example of this is about Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 32. Hezekiah had very great riches in Kavod and he made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, spices, shields, all kinds of costly vessels and so on. So he had a lot of stuff. How did you know about Hezekiah's importance? Well, you went in there and you saw it's great riches and honor. That's the way it's translated there. Honor. Great riches in Kavod. He has a lot of things. And so if you were to go to Hezekiah, he might take you out there and he might show you the silver and the gold and the precious stones and spices and shields and all kinds of costly vessels and all that. Let me give you an example of this. Just uh, think about the way sometimes we might use this idea at least. And I'll come back to this in a minute. <clears throat> if you were, for example, if, I, if you guys knew me when I was 16 years old, say, you came to my house. And I want to show you who I was. I might take you to my room, the house, and I might show you on the wall the poster of Michael Jordan. You know the poster, the image of Michael Jordan stretched out. You know that one, right? Well, I showed you that because he was somebody that I admired. I might have shown you some of my cassettes. I also had some CDs because I was at the time when we were making the transition from cassettes to CDs. But I might have shown you my cassettes of Guns N' Roses, of ACDC, of Motley Crue. I had a CD of Metallica that my mom made me take back because she read the lyrics. <laughs> but I might have shown you some of the stuff. This is. You know, this is who I am. I might have taken you out to the, to the driveway and shown you my 1979 Datsun B210. You know what a Datsun B210 is? It's pretty impressive. I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it because, you know, the new Tesla came out. It does 0 to 60 in 1.9. My B210 would do 0 to 60 in 1.9 as well. 1.9 hours as opposed to 1.9 seconds. So, but, but seriously, if, you know, if, if, if you wanted to see kind of this was... This was this was the physical manifestation, such as it was. I understand, not very impressive, but physical manifestation of who, of who a person is. You know, this, is this is sort of who I like. This is the bands that I like. This is, a, you know, this is a great athlete I like. This is the car that I drove to school. You know? this is, it's, it, you look at that and you see something about the person who 
owns it. And mine was, and I'll come back to this in a minute, it's the reason I use my 16-year-old self in a way, is that it was a borrowed kavod. That was my kavod, but it was borrowed. I didn't have a whole lot of my own kavod. Most everything I had had been given to me. Or I received it because of the family I was in or whatever. I'll come back to that idea in a minute. Now you think about this with me for a second. We're talking about God. God's kavod. Hezekiah showed you his riches. I might show you my you know, little car. But God takes you out. He takes you out on the mountaintop and he says, okay, take your telescope. Or just sit there with a the naked eye. And you look up there and the heavens declare the kavod of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That is the kavod of God. In the, in the sense, that is the physical manifestation of the importance, the honor, and yes, the glory of God. This is who he is. You get a glimpse of it there. You go out there and you look at the sky and you look at this incredibly vast universe. And it shows you something about God's. That's his kavod. That is the glory and the honor, the importance, the physical manifestation of who God is. It's a pretty neat thing. The glory, I don't have any of that. You don't have any of that. What we have is a borrowed kavod. But look at this. This is Psalm 8, right? So how do you, what is God's kavod? What is the glory of God? Well, that text in Psalm 19, certainly this planet, the universe, the vastness of it, the fact that God created all this beauty and this awesomeness, you know, for us. But then you got this. Look at this with me. Psalm 8, starting in verse 1, we'll read. Uh, most of the song, O oh Lord, our Lord, I love that song. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, that's the kavod of God, right? The physical manifestation of God's importance. What is man? Wait a second. When I look at the heavens, the kavod of God, we looked at that elsewhere. When I, when I look at the kavod, your kavod in the heavens, I ask this question. What is man? What is humanity that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Talk about us, okay? So when I look at the kavod, your kavod, Lord, I'm, I'm really, I start to think, who are we that you even think about us? Yet you have made him, you made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with kavod and honor. Crowned him with glory and honor. Crowned humanity with glory and honor with kavod. You have put some of your kavod on us. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. A couple of things there. The kavod of God, the glory of God, the physical manifestation is in the universe. And when I look at that, the psalmist says, I start to think, man, Lord, who are we? Created. I love this language. This is beautiful. Made a little lower than the angels. Notice that the psalmist doesn't say we're made a little higher than the apes. But rather he takes the angelic creation and he says you are made a little lower than the angels. And God has crowned you with kavod and honor. 
He's, he's crowned you with glory and honor. He has given us some of His, some of his kavod. And so where do you see the glory of God? You see it in the universe. But I want you to think about this. I don't know if you've thought about this lately. I want you to recognize that God's glory is seen not just out there. It's not just seen in the stars, the moon, the universe. It's seen in you. God has chosen to crown you and me with His kavod. That's an incredibly rich and profound thing to reflect on. A little lower than the angels. These angels who exist eternally in the presence of God, who cry out, we see into the throne room of God of Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Created us a little lower, and then He crowned us with His kavod. We have, as I've alluded to a couple times, we have borrowed kavod. Not ours. You know, when we view ourselves properly, it takes away pride and arrogance and all this glory-seeking and self-seeking kind of behavior. It does away with this stuff. Well, look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at how much I've done. Look at how much I've got. Look at my money, my house, my cars. It does away with all that self-glorification kind of thing. It does away with that sort of thing because you realize this is not yours. You didn't get it on your own. You didn't earn this. You didn't like do some things and say, oh, now I've got kavod, I've got glory. That's not the way it works. Your kavod, my kavod, it's borrowed kavod. It's given to us by God. He has crowned us with glory and honor. It's borrowed. Just like pretty much my whole kavod at age 16. It was borrowed. Earn it? I want us to spend a couple minutes thinking about this theme in Scripture, this idea of this, this glory, this kavod idea. Because if that, oh yeah, one more thing I wanted to say about Psalm 8, that he makes a couple of things, a couple of points. He says, you know, when I look at the stars and the sky and all that, and then I ask the question, what is man that you're mindful of? You've crowned us with glory and honor. He's really talking about Genesis 1. It's really it's what Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is a commentary on Genesis 1. Because what you got in Genesis 1, you've got six days of creation. God made light and saw that it was good and all that. Through, through six days. And then you get to the end of Genesis 1. After God has made the sun, moon, and stars, and He's made this beautiful, beautiful world. And then it comes to you and me. And God makes Adam and Eve. In the image of God, He created them male and female. He created them in His image. And He, and he told them, you're in charge of this place. You are my Vice regents, you, you're, you're to rule this earth. You're to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. You are to be in charge of it. You're to take care of it. And you are the representatives of God. You are God's image. You are, you are the ones who are the glory of God on earth. And so the planet, sun, moon, and stars, but you and I, God put us here a little lower than the angels. And it's pretty amazing what people can do. I'm talking about just human beings. I mean, it, it is amazing. I, I mentioned the Tesla a moment ago, and I mentioned uh, Elon Musk once or twice after I read that biography of him by Ashley Vance a while back. And um, Elon Musk, is, as best I can tell from that biography, is not a believer in uh, any sense of that as far as believing in God that we believe in. But people like that guy, pretty remarkable 
the things that they can do, the intellect and the drive and ambition that they have in accomplishing some things in the world. And people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and some of these remarkably intellectual people who are dreamers and can accomplish a lot. That is the glory of God. We see what people do, whether they're believers or not, and see the things that they can accomplish. And that is a glorious thing. God put us here to, to be in dominion over the earth, to take God's creation of Genesis 1 and 2, and to build civilizations, and to, and to come up with art and music and beauty and the things that the world has created even now, I mean, you, you look at the mountains and certainly you see the glory of God. But you look at the skyscrapers and you see the glory of God. You look at the, the intellectual accomplishments of some people. You hear a beautiful piece of music and that is the glory of God. God has given us this ability as his image bearers, his vice regents to reign and have dominion over the world in a way that we can create and shape in ways that... Show the glory of God. That's the way that idea of kavod is used. And so in Psalm 8, when he's talking about that, he's looking at creation, but he's also looking at humanity. And he's going back to Genesis 1 and 2, and he's saying, you put us here. You've made us a little lower than the angels, and you put us in, uh, in positions of dominion over the world. That's Psalm 8. That's Genesis 1 and 2. A little lower than the angels. You crowned us with glory and honor. That's Genesis 1. Okay? You crown us with kavod and honor, glory and honor. But then you have Genesis 3. What do you have there? The glory of God, a little lower than the angels, Genesis 1 and 2. But then you have Genesis 3. And what do you have? We get this borrowed kavod. God crowned us with glory and honor at creation. But then, in order to understand the Bible properly, you've got to move to the next chapter. And you've got Genesis 3, where the image of God, the glory of God in us, has become what? distorted because of sin. So a lot of the things in the world, in fact, this is a pretty good way of talking about the history of the world since Genesis 3. It is people who are created in God's image but are distorting that image. And the glory of God has become distorted in us. And yet you see some remarkable accomplishments, but they're all tainted by this fallenness of us. And you got Genesis 10, the Tower of Babel, which was a remarkable creation, but it was tainted by pride and arrogance and people trying to accomplish things without giving glory to God. And that's the story of humanity. We can do amazing things, human beings can, and we can do awful things. You've studied history. If you've studied just the 20th century, and you look at World War I, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, four awful wars that our country was in, and some of the things associated with them, you see what people can do to other people. It is alarming, and it is terrible, and it is tragic. Why is that? Why can people created in God's image do such horrible things? It is because the glory of God and the image of God in us has become distorted by Genesis 3. And we live in a fallen world, and we are people who so badly distort the glory of God in us. He created us to bring Him glory, and so that we might be the glory of God in tangible form, in bodily form, we are the embodiment, the physical representation of God's honor and importance. And yet, we mess that up, don't we? We mess it up. Distorted. Which brings us 
to the text where we started reading, which Daniel read for us a bit ago. Here's the one way of reading the Bible story. You've got this borrowed glory, Genesis 1 and 2, created the image of God to bring Him glory, to reign with Him, to take care of the planet, to, to, to treat the world in, in a way that honors the one who created us. That's Genesis 1 and 2, and it's a beautiful thing, but because of Genesis 3, it's distorted. And even this planet, even this world is a, is a messed up world in many ways. So a lot of the consequent, a lot of the natural disasters, a lot of the way that the world works now, it doesn't work as it once did because of the distorted image of God in us and even in the planet and in, and in certainly us as human beings. So what is God doing in the Bible? What's He doing? If you, if you notice the similarity to last week, that's not by accident. Because you can talk about this story in different ways, but it has some, some, some similar points, right? The holiness of God, it got distorted in Genesis 3. The glory of God got distorted in Genesis 3. So what God is doing is, 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What is God doing? What's the story of the Bible? What is God's story in Scripture? What is He doing? He's taking you and me, in whom His glory has become distorted, He is gradually transforming you and me from one degree of glory to another. He is restoring His image in us so that we might once again be the embodiment of God here. This 2 Corinthians 3.18, I think in a way, it sums up what we are to be doing. Let me apply this to us just for a second. What does it mean to bring God glory? What does it mean, Lord, Lord let our lives be to your glory? I mean, maybe we understand that a little bit, but I, but I hope by framing it this way, we'll understand it a little bit better in that this is not just trying to do the right thing. It's not just trying to do good works. It's certainly related to that. But it's more than that. It is, it is our submitting to the work of God, the transforming work of God in us, to take us and make us look more like what God created us to look like. Whenever I go you know, away and spend time with my folks, my parents, the older I get, especially I'm in a setting where people have known our family for a while, I get comments about <clears throat> the way I look like my dad. And a lot of times folks say, you know, you're starting to look, you're starting to look more like you the older you get, you know. That happens then. <clears throat> but I think in a spiritual way, that's what God is doing with us. That's what God is doing with you. He wants you to look like your father. He wants you to think like your father. He wants you to do like your father. He wants you to do what he created you to do in Genesis 1. He wants you to be his representative on earth. He wants you to be his kavod. He wants you to be his physical embodiment of what God is, what he's like, what he loves, what he hates, what he wants to happen in the world, his kingdom here. His reign on earth is done through you and me. Of course, Jesus is Lord of Lords and He's King of Kings, but He's having His way with His church. That's what the church ought to be. 
is a church is an environment where God does His work through His Spirit to shape us and transform us and make us look more like our Father. Because we get that messed up so badly. Through our own efforts, through our own choices, through our self-centeredness, we distort that glorious image day in and day out. And yet, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 that the Spirit of God is working on us to take what we look like through our own efforts and to shape that and change that and make it into what God wants to do as we are His kavod on earth. That's what He wants to do with us. So what does that look like when you go to work tomorrow? What does it look like? You know, as, as I was talking about earlier, I think that the things we do, a lot of times we, we use... You think about the glory of God, well, i got to sing, i got to pray, i got to study, and take communion and all that, and we see that's the glory of God, and it is, but it doesn't stop at 11 o'clock, and that doesn't stop at 8 o'clock when you go to work tomorrow, it doesn't stop there. When you do good work, when you, when you, when you do 8 hours of work, honest, hard work, for 8 hours of pay, it's the glory of God. When you change the diapers of your babies, it probably doesn't feel like it. That's the glory of God. Is God doing His work through you? Is God reigning in you? When you have a relationship with your teenage child, or you try to use your influence to bring others to Christ, or you feed somebody who's hungry, or you buy a Christmas gift for a a child who may not otherwise have gotten one. That's the glory of the Lord. That's the kavod of God. That is the physical embodiment of God through you, through me, through His church, to do His will on this earth. It is making a beautiful piece of music. It's turning in a report. It's filing your taxes, honestly. It's the glory of the Lord. That's what God is doing in us. We are His kavod. We are His glory. And God, when we do things according to the plan of God, whether it's within these four walls, or it's at your house, or it's on the schoolyard, or it's the cubicle at work, or it's when you're online, whatever it is, whatever you do, if you eat, drink, sleep, get married or stay single or raise kids change diapers or mow your grass or interact with your cranky neighbor next door whatever you do in word or deed whether you eat or drink do it all to the glory of God that's what we are to be doing that's the story of the Bible God transforming the distorted image in us back into what it was supposed to be if you're not a Christian this morning we invite you to come to Jesus Christ. Come because he, he loves you like you are, but He doesn't want you to stay there. Because you've messed that image up, as we all have. You've messed that glory up. God created you to bring Him glory, and you haven't done that. You haven't done that in many ways. And that's the story of every single one of us. So, what we do is we stand as His representatives in a way to invite you to come to Him. It's not us, but you come to Him and you say to Him, Lord, I've messed up your image, I've messed up your glory, and I haven't brought you glory in a lot of the ways that I've lived. And I'll, Lord, I just want you to change me. I want you to, I want you to shape me. I want you to transform me. You come to Him with faith in your heart. We'll baptize you into Him. 
God's Spirit will work on your life. He will shape you into the human being you are created to be, according to the story of Scripture. We invite you to make that decision today with that confession on your mouth. If you and I need to come back to Him, you've done that, but you, you've marred that image, and you've, you've, your life has not been, in so many ways, one that brings glory to Him. Maybe it's been in a, in a way that you need to ask for public prayers. If that's the case, let us pray with you. Let's stand and sing.